You're listening to the City World Radio Network. High-definition digital radio broadcasting from the city to the world. www.cityworldradio.com Welcome to Morph Mom Moments. I'm here with my amazing guest tonight, and I'm honored, and uh, I just could not be more excited that we're sitting around a table tonight speaking. Well, not technically sitting around a table, because one of my guests is calling in from Alaska, one of the northern tips of Alaska. Sue Aiken is calling in tonight, the star of the National Geographic show, Life, Be- Life Below Zero, and I'm sitting with uh, my my other amazing guests, Becca Brown and Monica Ferguson from Soulmates, and my co-hosts, Elizabeth Lentz and Lisa Berkery. Uh, I want to welcome everybody tonight, and I want to thank those who are returning listeners, and I want to thank those who are new listeners, and I encourage you to listen again. Hopefully, it will be great tonight as well. And before we get started, I want to just give you a very brief, and I promise brief, introduction of Morph Mom. Uh, the name of the show is Morph Mom Moments. And I want to encourage those of you out there who would like to call in and speak to either Sue or Monica or Becca um, to please do so. It's 212-631-7553. Again, if anyone wants to call in, 212-631-7553. I'll quickly again give you MorphMom. If you go to MorphMom.com, M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com, it will sort of make a little bit more sense to you. But my quick history is that I was a former prosecutor. I had kids, stayed home for 14 years, thought I'd go back. They did not want me back. Uh, Decided at that point I had to figure out what it was I was going to do. And it was pretty scary. No confidence, no connections, no anything. No idea of where to even begin. And rather than reinventing the wheel, I decided, why don't I go out and film the people who have done it, whatever it is, and see if they in turn would share what they've done, how they did it, the steps that they took to inspire others to do the same. And I was very lucky and incredibly excited to find out that there are so many women out there who have done it, whatever it is, who in turn are so willing to share it and to mentor uh, mentor others and to pay it forward to others who don't expect others to go through the hardships of trying to figure this all out and are just kind. 
So Morph Mom sort of began, and that was about four years ago. Uh, there's the website, as I said. I encourage you to go to morphmom.com, M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com, and you can see hundreds of videos of women all over the country and the world who tell their stories. Uh, I also ha- I write on Huffington Post if you'd like to hear about some of these amazing women as well. And if you look there, all the articles are down. We also travel the country now, and I visit a different city every month and host cocktail parties. And they're really fun, and you get to meet people who are local to your neighbors, so you don't even know what they're doing half the time. But it's just a great way to connect and to encourage others to do what they want to do, and it's a great support community. Um, Or so I hope. I hope that's what I'm instilling in everyone. And we recently have started classes to help them get along, and now the radio show which is so fun and it's every Thursday night from 7 to 8 p.m. and I encourage you all to please come back again because it's really not about me it's about my guests and they are amazing and without further ado and enough about me let's get to you guys so Sue can you hear me now as again everyone Sue is calling in from Alaska right now Um, I'm gonna I'm going to now transfer the stage to Sue Aiken uh, and as we said, she is the star of the, sh- the National Geographic show Life, Be- Life Below Zero, living up in Alaska right now. And Sue, would you tell us what it is that you do? Um, well, you know, first off, I, I mean, you say that I'm the star of the show. Uh, the show follows a few people, but, you know, I, I say it before, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not a star. I'm just a 50-something-year-old fat chick doing my own thing out here on the tundra. Um, and what I do is, uh, you know, and I don't, uh, you know, people say, well, don't say you're fat. And I'm like, hey, there's fat and sassy, fat and <laughs> you know, don't, you know, don't how you look at it. But um, I took, uh, what I've done is I, I was asked, if you go back uh, to around the year 2002, um, the gentleman that used to own the camp, uh, you know, I had a 400-mile trap line, lived on a dog team, and that's what I did. Um, but my friend that owned the camp, I used to babysit for he and his first wife's kids when they were uh, little, and uh, he knew that I did remote work. He needed to find a manager for the camp, so he did what's called muck-luck messaging, and uh, that means you tell somebody, sort of like you used to do in the classroom, you whisper something to you know, the kid next to you, and by the time he gets to the front of the class, it's something entirely different. But um, he left, uh, it, it ended up, there was a message on a tree outside of Coldfoot, and I saw it and called him, and... Uh, came up here to manage the camp for him. Now, what happened is, um, go ahead. Oh, and just before that, will you explain what the camp is? The camp is, um, it's an old oil camp, and uh, I have since, in the years that I've been here, this is now what, going on 14 years, I think, um, but I have turned around and purchased it, and uh, it's an old oil camp, but I've turned into a kind of a twisted bed and breakfast. If for any reason you want to be in the high Arctic and uh, see the Arctic refuge or just experience it or hunt or whatever whatever reason you want to be up here for, I'm the place to get uh, fuel, food, and a place to sleep. This is amazing. This is and, – and let me ask you a question. How, how many months is it open? Uh, it's open year-round, but, you know, the difficulty is and, – and I'm trying to address that a little at a time – um, you know, I said I had had the dog teams, and that's how I lived before. After the first year of being here, though, um, I, I did have a spouse at the time. and uh, But he, uh, my grandson came down. Um, they told me he had cancer, wasn't expected to make it. I flew off to be with him. We were in the process of purchasing the camp. I came with all the bank accounts. So I put him on my accounts and went off to help my grandson so he could finish the sale. But unfortunately, he had an 18, 19-year-old girlfriend and took my dogs, his 
lot of the accounts on the left. So when I came back, my grandson is now um, uh, nine years in remission. Oh, thank God. And, uh, but when I came back, I came back to absolutely nothing. And oh. uh, so I worked another 10 years for the company without drawing the wages to be able to get the down money together again, put my life back together and do it on my own. Um, you know, I didn't know at first if I could do it on my own out here, but I didn't see any reason. I'm a challenge-driven personality, and this represented all the challenges I needed. I've read that your mantra, and it just struck me when you just said that, and how you get through something like this. And, you know, I'm sure there are many listeners out there who had to overcome something. And how, how do you get through it? What do you do? Where do you reach? What depth do you go to to get through this and say, I can do this? And I've read that your mantra was, if it hurts, don't think about it. Is that something that helped you get through this? Yeah. And, and well, you know, yeah, you, know, you, you really, really, you know, to do what I do, um, effectively, you, you've got to be brutally honest with yourself about what are your limitations, what are your flaws. We all have them. Um, and then and then bring it out to the open and work with it. And for me, um, you know, I came to the realization a long time ago that I'm, I'm perhaps not great with living underneath everybody else's set of rules. I think differently. Um, I react differently. And uh, unless I say I can't do it, everybody else, you know, they can have their opinion, but it doesn't mean two, two hoots to me. <laughs> I'm the one who says that I, you know, if I give up, then that's my choice, not yours, mine. And so the same thing. If it hurts, don't think about it. If you sit there and you go, oh, man, you know, like for me, I had an accident, a real serious accident last year. It took uh, nine different procedures to get me to the point where I am at now back in Kavik. Um, and there's a great deal of pain that goes with that. But if I if I let that control what I'm doing then I'm not living life to the fullest. I'm altering my existence to fit a part of a life. And that's not enough for me. That's a message that I wish I have, a, I have an almost 20 year old daughter that I wish I can instill actually in all of my kids or that I myself could carry through every day and remember and stop worrying about the little things and actually pull through. I mean, they think it's a great message for everybody. Um, you mentioned that you had an accident up there and this got you through. And are there any that you would, could share with us and tell us? I know there was one incident with a bear, at least one incident with a bear. But but things that have happened up there and how you got through them. Um, you know, I, I can't give you all of the details of uh, there, there is in this, you know, okay, so last year, a little over a year ago, I had a snow machine accident. Um what you see on the show is just, just sort of the tip of the iceberg uh, on, on the procedures and, and all of the things that uh, had to get fixed. Um, when I was able to, the last two surgeries, they ended up uh, having to take the collarbone completely out the collarbone, the shoulder joint, and part of the arm bone um, ended up dying, getting necrosis and dying. And so they ended up taking out of my left hip and leg uh, the material to make me new bones put them in. So I'm actually wearing my butt on my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely have quite an anime. Uh, but, <laughs> but, um, this winter when I came up, that surgery, those surgeries was in October. So when I came up from that, you know, I'm in the brutal part of the winter at that point, you know, 72, 56 to 72 below zero. Um, every joint that I have hurt, some of them are brand new, and I and I actually 
came up against what I call my wall. I, mm-hmm. I hit a wall that, you know, it's, it's that immovable force that, you know, it took me, of course, I, you know, I, I'm a bull in a china shop. It took me a few times of banging my head against this emotional wall before I figured out, oh, my gosh, I either have to bust through this or I have to give up what I'm doing. And it could have gone either way. And you get to see over the series of a few episodes where I'm obviously having an issue, but I haven't clued myself in yet. And uh, and then how I deal with it, and it, it wrapped itself up around the pain, and I overcome it, and then bam, 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 all the dominoes start coming down. So <laughs> it, it, uh, it really, it'll be an interesting, interesting thing. But yeah, you know, pain and adversity. Again, you know, if you only have the good in life, then you're not really having much growth. Right. Adversity, we grow. Could they say and when you, you know, fall down? You, you get creative when you need to. They, they I guess, and I didn't, I'm sorry, so I didn't mean to interrupt you at all because I listen to you nonstop forever. Um, but, you know, they say when you fall. Okay, I don't, I never quit talking. <laughs> <laughs> this could be a problem. I know. The two, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they say when, when you fall down, you know, if you don't fall down, you don't know how great it is to stand up. So if you don't, if, if something bad doesn't happen, you don't appreciate the good. But I think you take this to such a whole new level. And I think as you sit here listening to it and say it's a real struggle and it's and how you get through it. And I think if everyone could sort of listen in and say, and hear your story of how you got through it, maybe in turn can interpret it and, and find a way to get through it as well. Um, I, I, have a, you know, I think that, yeah, I think that no matter where you are, you're going to find struggle, whether it's in, like you're saying, New Jersey, um, you know, and that's one of the things for me, one of the hardest struggles I had this last year, um, was being around people in cities and whatnot far longer than I had planned on. You know, the longest I've ever been in Cavic without leaving is uh, three years, a little over three years. I usually try every year to two years to get out and go see people and see my family and do things. Um, but here I was for almost an entire year, ten months. I was having forced to be away from Cavic, have somebody else working at it half the time, my nephew, and then I had to go around people that were hurting me on purpose. You know, in my world, if you hurt me on purpose, I'm probably eating you for dinner the second day. <laughs> you know, so so to go down around a bunch of doctors and surgeons that hurt you on purpose was was unusual for me, and not comfortable. Do you do you leave the the camp often, or was it only no. like so you left because no, of the surgery? I left you around. Yeah, I had to leave because uh, we ended up doing I think it was four surgeries alone on the collarbone and shoulder. Um, the hips, the legs, you know, I mean, it was just one after the million things. But, yeah, the doctor, like the Mayo Clinic, they're not going to come here, so I have to go there. But for me, it was, you know, I get very used to the type of food that I eat. Um, I eat when I'm hungry, not just simply because it's morning and, by God, we have to have breakfast. Um, But the whole rest of the planet does this breakfast, lunch, dinner thing, and the food is different. That, that, and, you know, there's a lot of sugars, a lot of salt, oh, right. and, and it's incredibly expensive. Mm-hmm. So that was really unique for me. How actually, how do you get the food? How do you get supplies? Daily supplies or, like, how does that? How... Um, well, you know, there's two different sides to sue up here. Um, Caucasian, I'm not allowed to own property on the North Slope. I can't just walk up and buy a few acres and build a house. Um, there's rules and regulations. This is the uh, this is one of the big oil field areas, and then the indigenous people um, have a history. 
feed you and charge you for eating game meat. I have to have regular store-bought, like from Cisco or one of the food warehouses. I have to get real food up here. So as a business, I have to buy in thousands of pounds of groceries and stock up for the clients that come in and out. Um, Now, for myself, I live 100% alone for nine or ten months out of the year, and I I eat uh, the meat that I've hunted for. Um, I I started a hydroponic garden. So I, whatever I can grow in that, I use for vegetables. I know what's medicinal and edible out in the field here. Um, and then if I need to add to it, then by August, I must get in almost a year. I have to buy everything for that nine to 10 month period, uh, like toilet paper products. You need, you know, when I'm ordering, you know, it's funny when I was in town, my, uh, one of my kids was saying, oh, you know, I got to go to the store, you know, we need another five pound bag of sugar. I'm thinking, who buys like that? <laughs> when I purchase, I buy 2,000 pounds of stuff and throwing it on a C-46. How did you learn? So you get up there and you realize that for your, you're alone all those months and you've got to go out and hunt and you've got to develop this garden and you've got to see what's edible and what's poisonous and what leaf you can touch and can't touch. How do you learn how to do that? Or did you know, did you know before? From, uh, from a very, yeah, from a very early age, um, without going into a, a, a lot of detail, um, when I was very young, my mom decided, you know, when, when I was in preschool and kindergarten, um, you know, people ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And back in the early 60s, mid-60s, your answer was supposed to be wife and mother. You might, you know, later on you could throw in stewardess or nurse. Um, but my answer was always the same. I always wanted to be a lighthouse keeper. Hmm. I, I crave isolation. Um, and I'm very, you know, my mind works just a little bit differently than everybody else's. I love natural things. But my mom decided she wanted to leave my dad. Divorce was happening. It just wasn't a real pretty option. Uh, so she gave a paper bag and said, pack one bag, you're moving to Alaska. And she brought us up here, but then she went through something of her own and abandoned us. So from a very early age, I had to learn um, how to build shelter, uh, how to get food, how to sew clothing. Um, I knew I loved school, but I knew I needed to get through it. I needed to get out of it pretty quickly and get to work. Um, you know, life was waiting, and uh, I could learn on, you know, basically learn on the fly. So, um, I and I've always been curious, and, and I ask people, how do you make that? How do you do that? I spent time in Fort Taunton, North Dakota as a child, and, uh, you know, I'd ask all the elders, how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you tan hide? What do you, what does this medicine do? How do you make that? And, and, it, and that's just been part of my nature, but it ended up coming in handy, because without... Without everything happening the way that it did, I would never have become who I am today. And I'm pretty cool. I like myself. I got to tell you, I think you're really cool. cool. I'd like to come up to Alaska. (laughs) I think you're amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I think the wherewithal that you showed at such a young age, it's just, it's, it's astounding but, you know, there's no, I don't know, some people say there's no such thing as a coincidence. So the fact that you learned that and were able to then translate that and use that now is just incredible and that you in turn can teach that to others. Maybe, I don't know, maybe there was a mission to that. There, there's a reason that that happens that you in turn could show you can do it, you can get through this, you can learn this, and I in turn can share it with others who need to get through a struggle or need to, you know, need to, you need resilience. We all need resilience at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, and I, what is it like, like a typical day for you up there in, let's say, the 
dead of winter. Let's say, I don't know, in New Jersey it might be a little bit different. <laughs> I might be complaining in New Jersey when it's, you know, 20 degrees as opposed to 75 well, below. Well, you know, like, uh, I mean, it's really not a typical day. Uh, if you're talking, let's say, the 100% dark, you know, there's not a speck of light at all. You know, and out here, um, you know, the, the closest city, like where there's a, a grocery store or a, or a Walmart, um, you know, that's 500 miles away, and the closest road is 80 to 100 miles away. So, you know, and, and for me, I don't have electricity unless I create it. So if I don't create the electricity and the lights out, you are talking about the, the, the darkest of the dark. Um, unless it's the time of year where I know I'm going to have clients, I don't worry. I, don't, I, I know I own a watch. I just can't tell you where it is. I haven't worn it in I don't know how many years. Um, but I, I get my body. I really listen to what my body has to say. And uh, Captain Bob, one of my buddies, one of my pilot buddies, he and I were laughing because we find that during the dead of winter, we are, my body almost gets on a 36-hour day. Really? And it, it feels natural to be up for, you know, it's, it's 36 hours of working and then I'll sleep some. But I, I really listen to my body. If I'm tired, I sleep. If I'm hungry, I eat. Um, if my body is throwing out really crazy, crazy, like pregnant women, you want pickles and ice cream. Well, <laughs> nobody in their right mind really wants pickles and ice cream. But your body will only be able to tell you where it last got the minerals it needs from. So maybe you actually need niacin, salt, and calcium. So it throws pickles and ice cream together. Wow. So what I do is yeah. try to scientifically break that down and go, obviously, I have no desire for chocolate and orange slices. What the hell do I need? And so I'll eat the things that, you know, I may, maybe I need potassium, so I'm craving banana. Um, so I try to take care of the cravings that way, but I really try to be in tune with my body. Uh, but when I do wake up, first thing is coffee. It's always, I don't drink Folgers. I'll leave that to the rest of the world. I only drink really good coffee. It's one of my vices. Um, I used to smoke a lot of cigarettes and stogies. I gave that up a little over a year ago. Um, so I'm healthier that way. But, but, you know, the coffee, nope. I'm going to have that espresso to the day I cack. So, um, I don't care how... I don't care how I dress. I wear my jammies everywhere. Uh, I use them as long underwear. Um, I'm a, I'm a little fashion plate. It makes me feel like a three-year-old. I tell people, you know, I, I, I refuse to graduate kindergarten. I naps and what's not to love You know, um, I wear my hats that are goofy. It started out the grandkids getting them for me, and uh, it was a way they see me in it, and it was a way for us to share something, even though they're far away. Um, as a sideline, I help a lot of children that are disabled. Um, cancer, I have quite an interest in helping kids. I don't have as much for adults of an interest, but um, and there are people and in, in families that I do help. So, oh, can you, can you hear us? Oh, we have a bit of a funky signal. In the meantime, I think, Sue, I think we've lost your signal a little bit. Um, while we're waiting for Sue to come back, I'm now going to actually ask my other co-guests tonight, uh, Monica Ferguson and Becca Brown. And by the way, for those of you joining us tonight, this is uh, More Fun Moments, and please feel free to call in at 212-631-7553. We have some amazing guests tonight from the tip of Alaska to New York City. 
we've got everything here tonight for you. Um, and I'm here with the co-founders of Soulmates. And I'm going to ask them to explain what it is they do and what they founded. And Sue, when you're back, tell us. I don't know if you can hear us yet. Um, Sue Aiken of Life Below Zero. I think we have a funky signal. Um, but in the meantime, tell us about Soulmates. But, and I, I want to incorporate a question into that that um, Sue was just talking about, how you get through a struggle, how you get through something. And you'll hear the girls are entrepreneurs. They're amazing. But at some point, was there a time when you hit a wall and you didn't know what to do? Such a relevant question. Thank you, Kathleen. This is Becca from Soulmates. It's such a pleasure to be here. Sue, if you can hear me, thank you for sharing your story. You are beyond incredible. It's really just amazing. Um, even though we are in totally different worlds right now, what you have said resonates with me and Monica and I as entrepreneurs. Briefly, for those listening, Soulmates is our company. It's shoe care for women by women. It's a company we launched based on a product we invented, which is a little high heel cap. It prevents high heels from sinking into grass and getting stuck in cracks. It was totally born out of personal necessity, starting at my high school prom and literally every wedding, graduation, outdoor event, same thing, sinking into the grass, ruining heels. Monica and I were fed up. We were in business school together. We had worked together previously before school, and we thought we have to create a solution for this frustrating universal problem. So we did. Ultimately, we quit our jobs, and we invented, patented this high heel protector and ended up starting a company around it called Soulmates. But to go back to Sue's story, um, and again, big preface while we're totally operating in completely different climates and, and lifestyles, I think, Kathleen, your question about you know the challenges and those obstacles that, that any individual faces in life, whether it's running a business, starting a business, or survival, you have to have those alternative resources to be able to tap into when you face those moments of fear. Because fear is the ultimate form of isolation. Fear is paralyzing. And when you're facing an obstacle... You need to figure out how you're going to navigate around that. As an entrepreneur and as entrepreneurs who have started this company, we've faced many obstacles along the way. And we've thankfully had each other to be able to rely on to get us through those difficult times. But to go back to Sue's point, the scariest moment in her life, and I can relate to this as well, is when you hit that wall and you start to feel that self-doubt. It is the scariest point because to that point, you've been relying on your confidence. You're knowing that you can get through this. And when you face that scary reality that there might be a chance you won't survive this, it's terrifying. It feels like you're drowning. It's all-encompassing. There's, really, there's, you, you, there's a sense of despair that you can't get out of it. And that's a turning point because you either don't get out of it, and unfortunately, you know, that does happen. That's the reality of life. But in cases like Sue and thankfully in cases like ours we've been able to figure out okay how do we get through this and I truly believe that every obstacle every challenge that comes your way is an opportunity for growth and you build calluses you build tactics you build mm -hmm. strategies to get around things and it's a part of life and so for the listeners out there wherever you are in your life just to think about those obstacles that you encounter and to not lose hope and to realize that you will get through it. You can survive. It may take a little thinking, a little asking for help, um, but you, you can get through it. 
And I think that's the benefit of sharing our stories, whether we're entrepreneurs that create little heel protectors or we're surviving the Alaskan tundra and fighting off bears. I think there's a, a story that we can all relate to. And, and Sue, c- could you hear what Becca was just saying? So, oh. Yeah, Oh, no, great. I just want to make sure. So for those of you tuning in tonight, I'm sitting here with my amazing guests, the co-founders of Soulmates and Sue Aiken of Life, Life Below Zero uh, on National Geographic. And it's funny, as you're both sitting here, somebody said, you know, when you have guests come in, is it, are they of similar or are they different? And I said, you know, tonight, you know, we're, we all sort of are involved very different things. But at the core base, we're all involved in our fear and we're all involved in, in the same very similar emotions that we have to overcome and how we deal with them and the lesson that we can give others and the lessons that didn't work that we should share with others as well. And so, Sue, before we were asking Becca and Monica about the wall, you mentioned earlier when you hit the wall and I was asking when the girls started, and I don't know if you heard their story, they they left, well, actually, I'll let Becca explain and Monica explain what they left to start Soulmates and what wall that they hit in turn, similar to what you were talking about. So, back, hi, this is Monica. Um, thank you again so much, um, Sue. Your story is incredible. It is such an honor to be here with you. Um, Becca and I worked together at Goldman Sachs in finance. Um, we had great jobs, great careers, but we had this idea, and we couldn't really suppress this idea and our interest in seeing it to market. Mm-hmm. Um, we just we thought it should be done, and we thought we should be the ones to do it. So we quit. Um, we left a you know very lucrative and comfortable positions to do something pretty unknown. So I think to that end, you can probably relate to that. Like we, we were, it wasn't the Alaskan wilderness, but it was like a great unknown for us. Um, and we, you know, we had so much naivete and we almost use it as an asset because we figured like, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know. And so why not just, you know, learn as we go? Um, the consequences obviously were not as dire, but there were consequences to making mistakes. You know, we had to raise money. We couldn't lose money. We had to be able to create something and make money from it when we had a position of great comfort before then. And so that was scary. And there were sacrifices that we had to make along the way. But um, ultimately, when we had the goal in mind, we knew we had something to focus on and something to keep us driven and keep us, you know, trudging along each day. And the reality... Well, you know, I think that's really, you know, one of the things that I'm hearing is, is, is that's really neat is that maybe, and, you know, and I could be incorrect, um, but you have these, the, the more comfortable... Um, you know, the, the, the bankable income, the comfortable job prior, but you left that, and in leaving that, you pursued passion. Yes. And, 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 and that's what it sounds like, is that you found a passion, you had a passion to do something, and it's that passion, that fire, that, that makes it all coagulate and come together. Absolutely. And when you have that passion, whatever it's about, you really can put these blinders up and the blinders serve as a defensive mechanism to really filtering out things that are not going to help you in pursuit of that passion. And I think that that's the nature of being an entrepreneur. Um, It's an ongoing process. It requires management because anything worth doing isn't easy if it were. You know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Um, But to the earlier points, I think you appreciate success, you appreciate rewards when you've had to work to get them. Uh, whether it's finding food. I mean, Sue, gosh, when you've killed <laughs> fresh food, I'm sure it's like such an amazing satisfaction because you've worked for it. If you just you know, can go to the drive-thru and get whatever you want, it loses its appeal. <laughs> but there's some... There's <laughs> you 
might be craving in an out burger. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's, well, it's, you know, when I, was, when I was in town and, you know, the fast food sounds really great and it's catered to your taste buds, but your rear end expands. <laughs> <laughs> another great parallel I mean it's a similar thing with any working out or exercise I mean if you put in the work the reward feels so much better if something's handed to you you don't appreciate the process and all the hard work and all the effort that went into it and so I think that's something that again everybody can relate to and ultimately especially in this country we're a country based on the American dream which is a meritocracy if you work hard you will be rewarded in the form of the happiness and, and, and a good life and I know that, you know, that happens on many different levels, but ultimately that's the basis of this country. And so I think wherever you are, it's important to, to really to keep that in mind that, you know, it is really about the journey. And if you're going to make that journey, figuring out what you need, and that goes back to what you said about knowing your body, knowing yourself, and really tuning into what those needs are, and then figuring out who around you or what around you can help fulfill those needs and pursue that goal. I have a question for both of you, yeah. and I, I'm curious to see how this would come out. I think you're all incredibly brave women, and what you did was took on a completely different new venture. And Sue, I'm going to start with you, and what was the scariest, I mean everything seems kind of, it's a little scary. Coming from Jersey City, I'm very scared, but I am coming to Alaska. Um, but what, what was the scariest thing beginning this venture for you? Beginning? Yeah, and I don't know if it was a physical um, thing or a mental thing. I, I don't know what it was, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, 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 I can't say that it was a scary venture. Um, I, I sort of, uh, the, you know, the way that Sue's brain works, um, to do what I do successfully, and being extremely remote and alone for extended periods of time, um, you really can't come from an emotional place too often. Um, if you're sad, you're going to be devastatingly sad. If you're happy, you're going to be maniacally so. You know, you, 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 there are no other social, my only social intercourse are with my foxes. And they're not going to be able to say, whoa, excited there, so settle it, you know. So I can't come from an emotional place. Um, when, what I did see when, uh, when I suddenly found that I, I was broke, but I was here. Um, could I do this by myself? Um, you know, I had two choices. I could tuck tail and go somewhere else and say, well, well, somebody took advantage of me. Bummer that. I guess I'll, guess I'll fail. Um, or for me, I looked and I went, you know what? It's going to be something I'm going to have to work 24 hours a day during the busy season, but I don't see any reason why one person couldn't do it alone. I mean, I, the only thing I knew about diesel mechanics was how to bake bread. So, I mean, I had a huge learning curve, but I'm challenge-driven. So, for me, it was not so much a fear of being able to do the business as the excitement of, you know, let's just get it started. And having the, you know, the then-owner had to agree that, you know, at the point I was 40 years old. But, you know, 40-year-old fat chick should be coming up here <laughs> and doing this all by themselves. Um, 
how determined I am, and I probably wouldn't take no for an answer. So, you know, in that respect, it was just, you know, now that I've got the green light, stay the hell out of my way and let me go. Let me get it done. I know the vision. I see the, I see the finished product. I just have to morph it until it gets there. That's so important, and that, Sue, that really resonates with us because that is exactly what we saw with Soulmates. I mean, for us, we were frustrated by this problem, and we knew there was a solution out there, and we really had this vision of creating that solution, and it was really just a matter of getting from point A to point B then. And I think once you see what that goal is, you have, like, laser light focus on that goal, and you go into that execution mode, and you have this fired up determination to accomplish it. Yeah. Well, you know, and doesn't being able to overcome the adversity, you know, and you have to be willing to accept failure. Just totally. because you see it, you want it, and you think it's necessary doesn't mean that the world's going to hand it to you. Totally. So you have to be willing to, to accept failure um, on some level sometimes. I don't ever do that gracefully, but, you know, it does happen. Um, but through through those things, I think one of the one of the most important things that any female can achieve, any person, but you know we're you know kind of the, the empowering empowerment for the female is, um, I when I when I go down to the lower world of the cities and I see the young women or I see um, you know there's not confidence in these young women. They are so self-conscious about their bodies, about what society is going to expect of, out of them. Do they fit in? Do they not fit in? Um, that the empowerment that that you can get from achieving goals and and finding out that you can do the things that you set your mind to, um, I mean, that's just the gift that keeps on giving. You know, like a snowball going down a hill, it grows, it grows and gains momentum. The more you do, the more empowerment you're going to give yourself. Mm-hmm. So true. It's so true. You know, it's funny sitting here, so listening to you say this and listening to Monica and Becca sitting here and my co-host, Elizabeth and Lisa, and everybody in the room, um, it's it's fascinating to to understand that, that you guys get it, that, that is this empowerment comes from what you can achieve. And failure can bring empowerment. If you fail, and I know that's so, it doesn't make sense, antithetical, like, but it can. I wish the girls understood that today, that it's okay to fail because then when you get it and then when you achieve, it's going to mean even more. And having guests like you on the show tonight is how we spread that message. It's how we share your experiences, both of you, and all of you, all three of you, and how different they may be, but how similar they may be in the ending result. My my dad is a big baseball fan and brothers play baseball. And in baseball, if you fail 70% of the time, you are doing incredibly well. <laughs> that means you're batting 300, which sounds like really not that great. You're failing 70% of the time, and it's amazing. It's almost, it's like very difficult it's to achieve that. It's Hall of Fame. It's Hall of Fame. And I think that's, it's a great little stat to always keep in mind, whether you're a baseball fan or not. But it's just, to your point, Kathleen, failure is a part of life. And the reality is, like, in the grand scheme of things, you're going to fail a lot. Yeah. It's just that your your wins are going to make up for all those failures. Yeah, and, and well, it makes it important to value the wins and even the teeny tiny wins so much. I mean, it can be getting through each day, like, you know, feeling good about, you know, whatever it is that we're accomplishing today and what, what we accomplish and what you accomplish, like, it, they're vastly different. But <laughs> it's, you know, it's a sense that you could do it. 
and that feels so good. If for us, it's you know getting into a new store or getting a new endorsement or like seeing sales grow. I mean, they're they're pretty like surface level accomplishments, but they mean a lot to us. And for us, we have to celebrate them because if we don't, there's nothing left to celebrate. Because we could literally spend our days talking about things that didn't go well, and the sales we didn't get. And the products that didn't go, you know, get off the shelf and the ideas that we should have had and didn't. Like, there's so many ways you could, like, bring yourself down. And I'm sure there's so many ways you could could bring yourself down, but you choose not to. And that's an important pivot one has to make. So I'm going to ask both of you this again as well. And as Monica just said, you have to reach deep down. and, And what is it that gets you through that? So inside of you, what do you think it, your strength is that gets you through that? So Sue, on one of those days when it's just a terribly, terrible, tough day, what gets you through it? Um, I, <laughs> I don't know, swearing in a 12-pound sledgehammer helped me, you know, with one of the days. Um, I give myself the freedom to, to throw tantrums, too, you know. Uh, it's okay if I'm unhappy with something and I swear at it and kick it. Um, you know, I would not do that to a child or a puppy, mind you, but, you know, um, you know, the, like the snow machine that uh, I got hurt on, um, I had a little bit of aggression built up with it. It was already totaled, so I took the sledgehammer and busted off the uh, plastic <laughs> and the broken tailgate. Now, you know, I, and I got so much flack on that, and I was like, you saw me drive it off, you know? But what I did with it, is I got the aggressive feelings out. I got the, um, you know, it, 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 whether it was my fault or the machine did something. It wasn't the machine's fault. It was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I was angry at it, and I, and I took it out on the machine. But at the same time, those parts were stripped off. I changed everything about it, um, made it into an entirely different type of vehicle, studied it, got lessons on how to deal with it better and what would be good in my area and brought it back to life as a much more stand a good machine for what I needed you know it had to be Frankenstein a little to get there and it hurt me so I kicked it in the teeth too but we came to an understanding and it's okay it's okay to not be happy about something it's okay to be ecstatic about something but you know in the end you've got to figure out what happened and move on it's so true. And, you know, because Beck and I are business partners and we spend so much time together, there are days that one of us may be feeling a certain way versus another. And a, a really valuable thing that we've done, and it's mostly driven by Becca because she's very emotionally like healthy, I would say, <laughs> no, is that she'll sort of check in with me and be like, I need you to know that today I am X. Like, you know, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I'm hungry, whatever it is. And so therefore, like, I may be more emotional yeah. about something. Like, I'm really upset about this, and it is distracting me. And and it's so healthy to sort of, you know, kind of own how you feel and not suppress it. Because you may make a bad decision if you're kind of, su- if you're suppressing something, or you may make a rash decision. And so acknowledging how you're feeling, whether it's a tantrum or, you know, extreme happiness, it's it's good. It's healthy. It's necessary. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and like for me out here, uh, when the film company is out, or, or well, yeah, it's pretty much when the film company is out, they're great people, but you're talking about somebody who has a level of isolation that, you know, I may as well be on the moon half the time. Right. Um, How do you reconcile I that? I don't have always, I don't always have the social skills that one would expect, um, or that people become accustomed to in town, um, or in a social setting where there's a lot of people, so... 
occasionally I may be grumpy or I do something which later I look at and I go, oh, wow, I didn't mean it the way that it was taken, but I said something and hurt somebody's feelings. Holy crap. Mm -hmm. And I immediately stop what I'm doing. I find the person and I, anybody that had heard it, I say, I, I said this and I did this and it dawned on me that it might not have been nice for you to hear that. Um, I did not mean it that way, but I have to apologize. So, and then the film company knows, all the guys, they're like, it's okay, you weren't mean. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I actually was. You know, I mean, you may not have heard it mean, but in my head, I Sue, was like, I think what might differentiate so you. I think what might differentiate you is that you acknowledge when you've done that, whereas literally we're all sitting around looking at each other thinking and saying, you know, we do that regularly. Like it, it, it happens. Like people get offended. You, you act out, you act, you know, you say something that inadvertently offends someone or, you know, intentionally offends someone. <laughs> um, but you, you realize it's not the appropriate way to have handled it, but to go back and recognize it, that's what differentiates you. And you should, you should own that in such an awesome way. right now too if you make a mistake and they don't know how to own it they walk away from it and it builds and it builds and if you could just own what you do on a daily basis and wake up again and say you know what I made a mistake I apologized I'm moving on I'm right. today's a better day I think um, one thing that's always helped me is you state your intentions at the outset so generally speaking we're all good people we don't wish to do harm to others and that happens inadvertently if you're hungry you're tired whatever you're in a bad mood all these different reasons and it happens but I think to correct it which I mean it's it's so amazing and difficult it's not instinctive to do that what you do Sue but I think to to state your intentions which is the truth which is absolute it's how you feel and if you can always stick to that then that will guide you that will be your compass and it will ultimately yield better relationships and closer relationships with yourself, number one, and then with all of those around you. Um, to go back to your question, too, is like what gets through, you know, when you're having those bad days. For me, um, nature is a big part of my world. I grew up on an old farm, and it's ironic that I live in a big city right now, but um, I'm really active, and when I'm having one of those days, I do need to have a little bit of time for myself and whether it's a bicycle ride or a run or a walk or just a few minutes of you know some deep breathing and meditation it's like you need to have those those times to sort of get back into yourself because Sue as you touched on like you are the most important I'm the most important person in my life and you are the most important person in your life and you you can't know anything else in this world unless you know yourself first and if you make that part of your daily practice in your life then ultimately you're going to have a much more satisfying life. It's, it's like that, what people say, you know, you put the, uh, if there's an issue on the plane, you put the, the, the oxygen, oxygen on yourself first, first before yeah. somebody else, because if you're not at your best, you can't help anybody else. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Sue, have you had a day up there where there have been others who were visiting and who weren't great and you had to get them through something? Has there been something like that? Because I read... Uh Oh, I, I read that, although you mentioned before that it's a solitary life, but you don't enjoy, you enjoy people. 
you 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 are a people person and although you lead the life up there alone you you like to be surrounded by people as well and so that's why i was wondering has there been an issue where you had to get somebody else through something up there um there there have been a few times um there was uh Oh, I don't know. This is a—I don't remember how many years ago this was. Um, But there was a a father and son that uh, came up. Uh, The father was a little elderly, um, but they came up and they—they were going to go do some hunting. And we just ended up having this super, super hot weather up here. You know, and it was—I think it was in the high 80s. And um, high 80s in Alaska. Two gentlemen went. Yeah, uh, the my hottest day here ever was 114 degrees Whoa. above zero, and I pretty much thought the world was coming to an end because there's nowhere to hide. You know, the sun is up 24 hours a day; it just goes in a complete circle. So until your weather pattern changes, the temperature is not going to change. Oh my god! And people, you know, they say, "Yeah, but the thermometer's in the sun," and I'm like, "Yeah, well, the sun doesn't set. Where are you going to put it? It's not going to be in the sun." You know. Um, but uh, the, the father and son went out. Well, the, I gave them a radio, and I have radio here. Um, they radioed in, and I'll, all I got is this garbled help, help message. So I jumped in the four-wheeler in the trailer, and I went down the path uh, that they told me that they were going to be going down that direction. And I saw them. The, the father had had a heart attack. Oh, my um, gosh. So, and they had animals down. But the heat and everything, uh, he ended up having a heart attack. So I put him on the, you know, I got him, got him on the sled, got him back, and uh, got the son and the father back, um, called in for the uh, the life support to, to come fly out here and get him, put him in the basket, explained to the guy what needed to happen. And he was, you know, they were concerned. Uh, the son was about the animals and the waste, too. And I said, you deal with what you got to deal with. I helped them get on their way medically. And then I went out and uh, took care of all of the meat and everything for them and had it uh, shipped and packaged and sent to their home. He ended up being okay, but that was, it was a, it was an interesting thing to go through. For me, I just go into automatic mode for what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. But it was something else to see their reactions that they had not gauged. You know, he, he had been feeling poorly and decided that he'd look at go see a doctor after he got back. Oh. And so later on and since we've talked and, and I was like, Well, you got a really big lesson in just how remote you really were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Had I not been here, there's no way he would have survived. Yeah. Oh my That's god. Yeah. You know, um, so you know, and there's there's been a, a couple of instances similar to that where something happens and and you just have to make that call you know another time i was out here in the dead of winter um and it was i don't know i like december-ish something around maybe late december um and i'm sitting in here and it's really cold it's really dark i'm dinking around and all of a sudden i hear what sounded like a knock on the front door and i'm going i'm looking around going what in the hell (laughs) and uh, so i go back to work and here i knock 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 again and i'm like man i'm going bushy i'm thinking i'm hearing somebody but I go to the window and look, and here's these half frozen people knocking on the door. And um, and I just, what the heck? And so I, uh, of course, fly to the door, open it up, get them inside. And I'm like, what are you doing knocking? You know, I mean, it's it's 50, 60 below. You get inside. <laughs> and uh, But they, their plane had crashed. Oh, and gosh. they saw, because I decided to run my lights and I have the battery bank and I keep a spotlight on no matter what, 
they were able to follow it and get here. And then oh. I was able to get them warmed up, get them over their hypothermia, radio it in, and uh, get them get them on their way. Wow, that, that, that's, that's, that's a story. <laughs> yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah. So that I'm gonna. Amazing. So it's funny. That's that beacon of light, right? So you are that beacon of light. That and you wanted to be that lighthouse keeper, and you you oh, yeah. are. You're that beacon of light. Not not on the water, but you're, but you're doing that. Um. So I, I turn well, this now. I, you know, lighthouses are just to keep you from points of danger, and uh, and safe is a big thing for me. So, you know, maybe the powers that be are just going to let me be a little lighthouse all over the planet. Wow, uh, you wow. clearly are a lighthouse over the planet, and that's why I'm so, so I'm so thrilled about tonight having actually all of you here because I really think that Sue and Monica and Becca and my co-host as well, Elizabeth and Lisa, mm-hmm. really are indicative or symbolic of this beacon of light and it can happen in all different forms and shapes and monica and and becca how would you have answered that question as well to how we've helped others the most um you know i think broadly speaking we've always been really passionate about encouraging other entrepreneurs and anybody that shows that spark we really try to support and encourage and, and share our knowledge, you know. Yeah, a lot of people have come to us always saying, you know, how did you do it? And it's, you know, again, it's we didn't know what we didn't know, the epistemological challenge. And you just ask. You, fi- you figure it out along the way. You don't know how it's going to go, but you know there there's a process. And there are just steps that one must take. And one must design a product. So one must hire a designer. And that leads to, you know, a prototype and it leads to a manufacturer and it leads to a packaging company. But you, you ask people along the way and things happen. And so it's just having the confidence that you can follow up with things, follow through with things. And you really just know how to take that next step. You don't have to know the next 10 steps. If you take that next step, which is, you know, talk to this person that knows about packaging or talk to this person that knows about X. And then that person or that conversation will need, lead to the next. So ultimately, there's this Oprah quote where your most important breath is your next breath. And so it's like your most important step in life is your next step. It doesn't matter what's happening next totally. year or 10 years from now. You just have to focus on what am I doing next. I can't believe this. We have one minute left tonight. I could talk to all three of you forever. Um, I want to thank uh, Sue Aiken from National Geographic's Life. I- I'm sorry. <clears throat> Excuse me, as I'm coughing tonight. I, I cannot thank you enough, Sue Aiken, for coming on tonight and from Alaska on the phone and just inspiring us with every story that you have, everything you've overcome. And that it never appeared to me once that you were everything is positive. Everything you shared tonight was positive. And that's what carries over to to Monica and Becca from Soulmates. Everything is positive. And that's I think what we take away tonight is that their obstacles and their failures and things happen in whatever degree they come in. You deal with them. And I want to thank everyone again for listening tonight, and I encourage you all to come back next week, 7 to 8, next Thursday night, to more fun moments. And um, if you have any questions, go to morphmom.com. This will be a podcast on iTunes as well. So by tomorrow, you can listen to it again, or you can listen to it on Morphmom. And I encourage you all to watch Sue's show and to go buy Soulmates, and then you'll be good. Thank you again. <laughs> thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Good night. Good night. Honorably in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS.
Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA health care facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVETS posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at AMVETS.org. Hi, I'm Janice Ian. Do you remember how excited you were at the start of summer every year and how the summer just started to drag on after a few months and you couldn't wait to get back to school, see your old friends, make new friends, get new books and a new locker and a clean slate? Well, you should have been excited about music class, too, because that was a special room where you went to sing, perform with your friends, and learn all kinds of interesting stuff about great composers, instruments, different kinds of music and songs. We remember our music teachers because they were so passionate about helping us learn to love music. They helped to spark a love for listening to notes and voices and rhythms that continues to enrich our lives even today. I bet your kids feel the same way about music class. Ask them and make sure they get involved with music in school and in their lives. A PSA brought to you by MENC, the National Association for Music Education, and the National Anthem Project, the campaign to restore America's voice through music education. Music, part of a sound education. Voted number one jazz cabaret club by New York Magazine, the Metropolitan Room is one of the most critically acclaimed venues in New York City and is known as the home for big-name talents and rising stars. Known as a celebrity hangout, the Metropolitan Room is a high-end cabaret and jazz club and brings the best in live music to New York City every night of the week. Fabulous award-winning Broadway, TV, film, and radio performers take the stage in an intimate 115-seat elegant venue. Aside from the great highly professional artistic shows and audience, Metropolitan Room provides an exceptional appetizer and dessert menu as well as exotic and specialty drinks prepared by top New York City bartenders. The Metropolitan Room is located at 34 West 22nd Street, Conveniently located near public transportation. For information or reservations, call area code 212-206-0440. Once again, the area code is 212-206-0440. Or go to their website at www.metropolitanroom.com. You are listening to the title track off the new City Boys All-Stars album, When You Needed Me. The City Boys All-Stars will be performing at the Cutting Room on 44 East 32nd Street in New York City, 10 p.m. hit. For ticket information, call 212-691-1900. Once again, City Boys All-Stars Cutting Room, August 28th. Sparky the Fire Dog here. Protect your family from fire. Make sure your home has smoke alarms in every bedroom, outside your sleeping areas, and on every level of your home, even 